Welcome to Extraordinary, my retelling of the story of my almost rape and violent stabbing in 2018 from my perspective, as well as from the perspectives of some of my closest friends and family. My hope is that this story and the stories of the extraordinary people who helped me along the way will inspire a better understanding of the effects of extreme violence, PTSD, and recovery on individuals and the people supporting them. Thank you so much for listening. And you can follow along on our Instagram account, extraordinary.podcast, to see the photos, videos, and helpful resources that correspond to the content of every episode. And please, 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 if you are a survivor or someone suffering from the effects of sexual assault, violence, or PTSD, take care while listening. So for the first episode, I want to take you through what happened the night of February 23rd, 2018. Um, I, I know a lot of people listening to this podcast probably are not familiar with the story. So I, I wanted to jump right in and, and tell that story first so that all of these other pieces make sense. Um, and I do want to just give a, a warning or ask that anyone suffering from PTSD or the result of sexual assault or rape, um, just take care during this episode. Um, because there are, I do want to share, you know, what the experience was like and that level of detail, um, I know can be upsetting or bring back memories. So I just, I urge anyone listening to please take care while you're listening. Um, where to start? So I, I woke up that night. It was a Thursday night. Um, I woke up at, I think, around almost three in the morning. I lived in this one bedroom that's a lie it was a two bedroom um I'm nervous at the time that this happened I lived in a two bedroom walk up in Santa Monica um I had lived there for about four years I loved it I had a little yard um it was two blocks away from the ocean which for me having grown up in the midwest was something unfathomable um to be that close to the water in California and I I had a little setup in the back like a patio I had a little garden um I had I had done a bunch of projects around this apartment to fix it up it was an older apartment maybe from the 50 built in the 50s or 60s and not very updated from then um so it was my it was my little house and I, I loved it. Um, and I woke up this one night, uh, my dog was barking and I had another, my little dog's name is Cookie. Um, and she was barking. I had another dog at the time that I was fostering through, a an animal rescue in Santa Monica. And her name is was Dove. 
And she was also a small dog like Cookie. Um, and the two of them were barking furiously in the middle of the night. I, I woke up to them barking and I assumed maybe someone was walking a dog out in the yard. One of my neighbors was up with their dog, something. And I think I peeked outside just to check and there was, I didn't see anything. So I, I got them to be quiet, got them to calm down. And I just went back to bed and it must've maybe been about 20 minutes later that they started barking again. And I know my dog and her bark was panicked, very, very alarmed. You know, her bark was intense. So this time I sat up. Um, I remember sitting up in bed. Uh, I, I looked over, I grabbed my phone. It was on the nightstand to my left. And I looked at the time and I think it was, it was something like 3.07 in the morning. And my room was dark, but the, in the living room, I had twinkle lights set up on the two windows that I kept on at night and just because I liked the the pretty golden glow of these twinkle lights and my room was dark but the bedroom door was open my bedroom door was open and the doorway was illuminated by the glow of these Christmas lights and as I looked at my phone to see what time it was I looked up at the doorway and I was still half asleep, you know, still in bed, but I thought I saw the silhouette of a figure kind of lean in slowly and peek his head in to the doorway. And I had that feeling, like my heart started beating, I remember beating fast. But I had that feeling of, you didn't just see that. That wasn't, that was a, a fluke of the mind. That was something, that you imagined that. That wasn't what you think it was. And I just remember kind of telling myself that, like, no. You know, that wasn't what you thought it was. Um, and I started to go through options in my head. And I thought, maybe it. Maybe it was a friend of mine, my really good friend at the time, who just wanted to, like, he, I had a hide key Maybe he came in and wanted to scare me. And in my mind, I imagined him, uh, I knew he had gone out that night. I imagined him coming in and maybe being a little bit tipsy having stopped at Wendy's drive through and gotten a frosty sitting on the couch in the living room. And I kind of calmed, you know, I calmed myself down with this imagined scenario that I talked myself into that it's, it, it's not what you think. It's him. He's just trying to scare you and you're going to go out there and he's going to jump out and then you'll laugh and it'll be over. So I didn't, 
I made myself believe this story and I didn't even grab my phone as I got up out of bed and walked out of the room. I, I remember I had a hunting knife that a friend in Wisconsin had given me in my dresser drawer, in an underwear drawer. And I remember thinking about grabbing it, but I knew that I had trouble even getting it open. It was like a switchblade situation. And I like every time I tried to open it, I was sure I was going to hurt myself worse than I was going to hurt anybody else. So I didn't go for that either. I just got up and I was in my pajamas. I was in like little shorts, like boxer shorts and a t-shirt and bare feet. And I got up in my dark room and walked toward the lit doorway toward the living room. And the way my apartment was set up was that it was almost like a loop, like a circle. Um, and I, I walked out and I walked to my right into the living room. And the living room, the Christmas lights were blinking and twinkling. And it was empty. And I don't, I think I might have said hello, like hello, and didn't hear anything back. And I kept walking. I, I walked into the dining room. The dining room was a little bit darker because it was right off the living room and not lit up by Christmas lights the same way. So I, I remember as I walked into the dining room, I felt a little bit more scared and I think also because I could kind of feel him there. You know how you kind of get that feeling like you just feel that someone's close to you? And I kept walking and I walked into the kitchen and the kitchen was dark. And as soon as I walked into the kitchen, I looked to my left and there was a man standing there, a man... I didn't know, and he was standing with his back up against the wall. He had a knife in his right hand, which was the side I was facing him. He had taken, I recognized the knife as mine. I had, I think maybe two weeks prior, I had ordered this knife set from Amazon and it was, I remember I thought it was very cool because it was black blades with black handles and <clears throat> one of those knives, knives was in his hand and I remember looking up at him, he was tall, he is tall, I think he's maybe six, four, um, and lean, he was muscular but thin and I remember looking up at him to my left and scanning him from the top of his head down to his feet and I remember the thoughts in my mind were you don't know him this is a stranger this is a nightmare person I remember thinking this is a nightmare person and I, took, I remember thinking, you're going to need to know 
what he was wearing for when he leaves. Because in my mind, I thought I lived across the the road from a, like a, a like a homeless outreach center that people had stopped by and knocked on my door a few times um, and asked for directions over there. And, and people were that were looking for this center were always gracious and polite and kind. And I thought maybe this person is homeless. Maybe he's confused. Maybe he was looking for a place to sleep. And then I startled him. Maybe he, he's here to rob me. He's in a desperate situation. But that was as far as my mind took it at that first moment. So I remember thinking I would have to remember what he was wearing and re- recount that. So I looked at it, looked him up and down quickly, you know, in, in a flash. And a lot of the things from this story, moments from this story, it sounds from the the amount of thought like the how many thoughts can be had in a fraction of a second it sounds like I was standing there looking at him for a minute and a half thinking through all this while he just kind of stood there but it was a fraction of a second that I had to look at him and he he was wearing a hat I remembered he was wearing a red hat that looked dark red or burgundy in the dark in my mind he was wearing a hoodie and a jacket and jeans and I remember he had a long face and facial hair a goatee and all of this happened all of this thinking all of this scanning all of this looking all of this assessing happened in a snap in a flash upon seeing this person in my house and I immediately once I saw him I don't remember what I screamed but I I think I screamed help help like oh my god someone help me and I ran but I didn't turn and run I think I was afraid to turn my back to him so I I ran as fast as I could backwards and I remember running and him turning the corner from the kitchen to chase me. And he was low, like he was crouched low, like he was running fast with the knife still in his hand. And I was running backwards, screaming. And I had, I remember there was a vase of white flowers, lilies, um, on the coffee table in my living room. And as I ran, I didn't, I, I didn't have a destination. It was just a reaction to run backwards and I, I ran backwards and I remember I've launched up over the coffee table up onto the couch and I remember the water splashing on my legs as I launched up over the coffee table and I landed on the couch and I I pushed myself there was a big window on that wall and I think in my mind I just wanted to push myself out of the building through the wall and through that big window. And as soon as I landed on the couch with my back against that window, he jumped up on the couch with me and held the knife 
to my neck and he was on, on my left side on the couch. We were both at that point on, on the couch, me with my back to the wall. And he held the knife to my throat and he said, shut the fuck up, shut the fuck up. You see, I have a knife. And I said, yes. And he said, I will fucking kill you if you don't shut the fuck up. So I stopped screaming. And I remember at that point thinking, I want to be as cooperative and nice and <laughs> as I can make him, make him think that I'm on his side, make him think that I'm his friend, give him anything that he wants, make him feel like he can trust me to try to get out of this situation alive and as fast as I could. And at that point, I wasn't even thinking that he was going to kill me. I, I was still thinking he just wants my laptop. You know, he he wants money and then he wants to get out of here. But so we're laying on the couch, not laying, but on the couch, you know, he's got the knife to my neck and he's asking me questions. He was saying, I remember he asked if I, if I had a boyfriend and I lied and I said yes. And he said, and I said he should be home any minute. And he said, what time did he leave? And I said, 10 p.m. And that all of that was a lie. And I remember thinking it was strange that he asked what time he left. Um, but it, in my mind, it was 3 a.m. Feasibly, he could have gone out to a bar, bar time, gotten something to eat with his friends. You know, this to me was a believable lie. And hopefully he'd be scared out of staying too long in case this was true. But he didn't seem very phased by that. And he, I remember also while we were that close on the couch for the first time, I remember trying to see if he had a, like a, like if he smelled like he was homeless, which sounds awful, but you know, like, like he had unwashed clothes or if he smelled, you know, like he wasn't able to take care of himself if he was incontinent or if he, you know, smelled like weed, which he, his, he smelled like he, his clothes were clean, but he did faintly smell like weed. And only, I was also trying to assess at that moment if he was on drugs, if he was acting erratic, you know, if he seemed like he was on, you know, cocaine or crystal meth or some kind of, you know, upper, you know, if he seemed like he was in that mindset and he didn't, he seemed excited, like his voice was kind of quivering with excitement, but clear and purposeful, if that makes sense. Um, so I started to wonder if he was not homeless at that moment. Um, 
So he told me to stand up. He, I had my hair in like a messy bun on top of my head that I was, had been sleeping with. And he got behind me right away and he put his right arm around me and held the knife to my neck, um, on the, my left side. And with his left hand, he held my bun, grabbed my hair just tight enough that it kind of hurt. And he said, where's the fucking money? And I said, I don't have any cash. Uh, and he said, give me the fucking money. And I remember thinking like, who, who my age now carries a bunch of cash or has a bunch of cash at their house? You know, like, it's not like I, like I use credit cards and debit cards. Like I'm not stockpiling a fortune in my apartment. Um, and I, at that moment, I didn't think I had any cash there. So I was racing through my mind about what can I give him that he's going to want. And he's, you know, he's being forceful. He's saying, you know, like, where's the fucking money? Like, move. Like, walk. Telling me what to do and where to go. And he told me to walk into my bedroom and I remember walking into my bedroom and I knew there was no money in there. I knew my computer was in there. Um, and I didn't want him to take my my computer. At this time, I was still thinking about the computer. Um, and he told me to cut the lights on. And in my room at that time, the light switch only controlled the ceiling fan. And I remember telling him so. And he said, cut the fucking lights on, do it anyway. Uh, so I flipped the switch and I, and the fan was super, super powerful. Um, I remember it instantly feeling really cold and being in my dark bedroom and that feeling of the shock of the cold really scared me. And I, I knew I just, I didn't want to be in there with him. So... And I remembered, I, th I think at that moment, I was trying to think of anything to get him out of my bedroom. And uh, I remembered at that moment that I had some cash in a, in a side table drawer in the other bedroom. Um, so I said that, like, I think I have some cash in the other bedroom. So he made me walk to this other bedroom door, which was closed. And he said, is anybody in there? And I said, no. And he said, if somebody's fucking in there, I'm going to fucking kill you. And I said, I wouldn't lie to you to try to make him think, you know, I'm his friend and he can trust me and I would never lie to you. Um, and he told me to open the door and I did. And I turned the lights on and we walked to the side table and opened the drawer and it was the wrong one. So we walked back around the bed to the other side table and opened the drawer and there was $31 in that drawer. There was a 20, a 10, and a 1. And I passed it back to him and I heard him put it in his pocket 
And then he said, what else do you have for me? And then I think in my mind, I started cycling through like, okay, I can give him my camera that's in the closet in the hallway. I can give him my old laptop. And I, but I don't know if I said any of these things out loud. But he made me walk back into my bedroom. And I remember feeling like it's changed. It's changing. What's happening is changing. And not that his intention was changing, um, which was something that I, you know, made, tried to make as clear as I could in court, but that my perception of what was happening was changing. Um, so he made me walk into my bedroom and it was cold because the fan was still going and he told me to, uh, put my hands up against the wall next to the door and I started to cry and sob, like really sob and I started crying and I was saying to him, because I knew then, um, you don't have to do this. I'm a nice person. Please don't do this. I'm a nice person. And I just kept saying that. I kept repeating that. I'm a nice person. You don't have to do this. And he just said, shut the fuck up. And I put my hands up on the wall. And I was sobbing and crying and he stood behind me and with his left hand, he never took the knife away from my neck. Um, And he took his left hand and he felt underneath, felt my breast underneath my t-shirt that I was wearing. And he started making sounds like, oh yeah, oh oh, yeah, you know, sexual moaning type sounds as he was doing it. And I was just so scared at that moment. I I just kept begging, hoping that he would change his mind or that he would take pity on me. And he told me to lay down in the bed. He walked me over to the bed and I got up on the bed, but I, I curled up in a ball, you know, to be as small as I could and protect myself as well as I could. And he told me to stretch my arms and legs out. He said, reach up and touch the thing. And the thing was my headboard. So I did that. And then he told me to stretch my legs out. So I was on my back on the right side of the bed. Um, and completely outstretched, you know, completely vulnerable, clothed, but vulnerable. And he stood on the side of the bed. He was still standing on the ground and held the knife to my throat with his right hand and he started to 
feel over my shorts um, onto my vagina and rub and started moaning and making those sounds again like, oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, and I was sobbing and had my head turned to the right Um, And I don't remember if he told me to do that, but I wanted to be away from him. You know, my head was the only thing that I had agency over at that moment. And he was rubbing over my shorts and he said, where are the fucking condoms? And I said, I don't have any condoms. Crying, sobbing. And he said, where are the fucking condoms? And I said, I don't have any. And he said, to, for me, he said he wanted me to turn on my side, on the bed, and face, have my body face the wall opposite him. And I did that, and he went to crawl up on the bed behind me, And I could feel his erection on my leg. And at this moment, while I'm lying on the bed, I had so many thoughts. You know, I was terrified. I was... It was the first time in my life that I've had someone take complete control away from me and control to this day still plays a huge role in my life you know having control not having control trying to convince myself that I'm in control um but I as I was laying there I remember as I was looking at my bedroom wall in the dark thinking you don't know this man. You don't know this person. You don't know why he's here or what he's capable of. And I remember thinking, the way that you know sex is not going to be the way that he has sex with you. You know, he's not going to have sex with you the way that you understand sex. And I imagined all these horrific things that he could do to me in a room with no consequences. You know, no one knew he was there. And he had complete control over my body. And he clearly didn't care that I was a nice person. And I remember staring at the wall and I was wishing, just wishing that somewhere in there that there was a hope that someone was going to come. And in my imagination, I imagined the police breaking down the door, my friends breaking down the door, you know, my dad, my brothers, someone breaking down the door and and coming in and and saving me from this. But I knew no one is coming. No one knows that you're here. 
No one knows that he's here. And as I thought through all of these horrific things that this person could do to me in this dark room with no windows, it had windows, but I mean, with no one watching, um, I thought about, I don't have kids, um, but I remember thinking about my daughter, and as I said, I don't have a daughter, but I remember thinking, whatever he does to you, it's going to ruin your relationship to sex for the rest of your life. It's going to ruin your daughter's relationship to sex for the rest of her life. And I remember even imagining myself at her wedding and thinking about him. And if this, if, and this all was happening, I'm, and like I said earlier, these thoughts were all happening so, so, so quickly. Um, it was like time slowed down. And I remember thinking that he had some kind of emptiness, like a hollowness in him. And I remember thinking, if you let him inside you, he's going to give you that. He's going to pass on that hollowness into you if you survive this. And I also, you know, at that moment I was thinking he could rape you all night, do horrific things to you that you'll never forget and never recover from. He could then kill you. And at that point, your spirit will be dimmed and you'll have been tortured for hours mentally, emotionally, physically. And if he tries to kill you, then you won't have the fight in you to fight back. And this is, this saying is something that kind of was the turning point in my mind. There was this, and this makes me sound like I'm a super fan of, of the show Dexter, and I'm not. I, I just watched it like other people did. Um, the show Dexter on Showtime, where Dexter, the guy, is a serial killer and, you know, thrills abound. But um, I, I didn't remember even thinking at the time of watching this episode of Dexter that this moment where this thing that he said was remarkable but somewhere in my mind my brain fished out this line from that tv show and at this moment and used it but so thank you to the writers of Dexter <laughs> um but in this episode Dexter has been caught by another serial killer I think and I think this happens a lot in in that show, but he's he's uh, bound to a table, like strapped to a table, and the guy's doing his thing and sharpening his knives and whatever. 
and Dexter's internal monologue is talking about survival. And he says something like, a wolf in a trap will chew off its own leg to survive. And then he knocks the table over that he's on and breaks his own arm to get it out of the strap and to get himself free. And he sacrifices his arm to get his, him to keep himself alive. And I, again, like I, I don't remember even remembering this episode of Dexter, but in that moment, as I was laying there staring at the wall and he was getting up on the bed to rape me, I thought a wolf in a trap will chew off its own leg to survive. And I thought about that movie, 127 Hours, when that that hiker, I don't remember his name, the uh, guy who was played by James Franco, um, that when he cuts off his arm to survive. Um, and I, in my mind, made a decision that I was saying goodbye to my arms that I would use my arms and give up my arms to live and in my mind I thought I'm gonna fight him and even if he cuts off both of my arms I'm not gonna stop and hopefully all of that blood and me having my arms cut off will scare him enough to leave. And I remember thinking, if he cuts off my arms, I still have my heart. And as he got up on the bed, he pulled the knife away for a second. It was the first second the knife had been off of my neck. And I was thinking all of these things and time was slow and he pulled the knife away from my neck and I screamed as loud as I could, somebody fucking help me. And in a flash, he was on top of me. He had me straddled on the bed. I was on my back and I remember feeling bop, bop in my forehead and thinking that he was hitting me with the butt of the knife, you know, to try to knock me out because that's what it felt like. It felt blunt, um, like the other end of a knife, not sharp, you know, not like when you get a paper cut and how, how that feels so slicey um, and hot. It, it was like a thud. And then, so I felt the bop, bop in my head, on my forehead. And then I, I just remember seeing white light. And it was white light, white light, white light. And as I was seeing the white light, I realized he's punching you. And I remember thinking, he can punch you a hundred times but you can't fall asleep because if you fall asleep, you die. 
So he's going to punch you 100 times and you have to stay awake or you die. And I remember thinking, at least he doesn't punch very hard, which I think was a combination of adrenaline, huge amounts of adrenaline shooting through my body. And also that he was still holding the knife in his right hand and was punching me with his left. So he punched me not a hundred times. He punched me three times and I started, you know, I had my arms up and started attacking him. I remember punching his penis and twisting with my fist and screaming and, you know, it's just like a flurry of hands and fighting. And I think I must have gotten my legs up underneath him. And I have really big tree trunk, thick <laughs> legs. It's the source of my power. Um, I think I must have gotten my my legs up underneath him and kicked him off. And he fell down on the other side of the bed uh, from where he had started. And he was in between my bed and my dresser facing the wall rather than facing the door. And I sat up in bed and I, I still have a, I have a physical twitch. Um, and one of them is to pull my face to the right, which I think is pulling away from the knife. And then another one is that feeling when I first sat up in my bed and was free. It was the first, it was the best feeling of, I can breathe. I'm free. He's no longer in control of my body. I had my control of my body back. And I sat up, I shot up, and I didn't feel him stabbing me. But I somehow knew to look at my hand. And I remember I shot up and I pulled up my left hand to look at it. And my ring finger and my pinky finger were dangling. And they were so damaged. They were so cut. And I could see bone and flesh and blood. And blood was dripping from my hand onto my white comforter. And I, I've, never, I've never broken a bone. I've never hurt myself really badly. I've never been in a cast. I've never been injured that badly before. And I looked at my hand and I looked how badly it was cut. And how badly I was bleeding and my fingers dangling there. And I looked at him and he was still sitting on the ground. And he had his knees up and he was looking down at his hands. And now I know why. Um, But he was looking down at his hands and I, I looked at my hand and I looked at him. And I, all, I went from being scared to being angry and I I didn't say this in court because I I didn't want it to be misunderstood or misconstrued as a different thing but I I felt in that moment I felt angry and I felt betrayed and not by someone that I knew not a betrayal of trust from someone that I knew but betrayed on the human contract 
that we don't cut each other's bodies, that we don't hurt each other's bodies. We, you know, it, it changed in that moment for me that I, he broke some human contract and with how severe that cut, those cuts were to my hand that my fingers were cut off. I realized he is going to kill you. So you have to kill him. I remember thinking that, that I'm going to kill him because if he doesn't care this much about my body and my fingers and my blood, he's going to kill me. And the only way to stop that is for me to kill him first. So I, I looked down at my hand and I looked at him and I, I screamed at him, you cut my fucking fingers off. You cut my fucking fingers off. I'm going to fucking kill you. And I jumped down onto the floor in between him and the wall. And I think about that now. If I, if I had jumped down and run to the door to escape, I'm sure he would have chased me. He would have put the knife to my throat again. But I, I didn't. I jumped down and I was so pissed, so angry. And I, I, I jumped down on the floor, onto the wood floor, and I, I started punching him with my right hand, punching him as hard as I could, kicking him and screaming at him, get the fuck out of my house. Get the fuck out of my house. I'm going to fucking kill you. Get the fuck out of my house. And kicking and punching him as hard as I could. And in my mind, I was, I was going to kill him. Um, and he, I think he must have stood up and pushed me back down onto the ground because we ended up back down on the ground and my back, you know, my upper, my shoulders were, my back was on the ground, and but my shoulders were up, pushed up against the base, like the baseboards of the wall. And he was slashing at me again with the knife and, and I put my arms up to defend myself and was, you know, it was more like flat, you know, flailing of hands and, and fists and then all of a sudden he got up and ran. And I remember thinking, okay, great. Chase him. He's running. So I, I got up and I started running after him and I was still screaming, get the fuck out of my house. I'm going to fucking kill you. And in my mind, there was, there was, and I had this huge pair of shears that my ex-boyfriend had stolen from a Korean barbecue restaurant, like the t- type of shears that cut meat. Um, and in my mind, I'd been wrapping presents and I thought that those scissors were on like a, a table that I had in the hallway. And I was running to grab those, that, those shears because I was like, a, in my mind, I was like, I'll grab the scissors and then I'll stab him in the kidney to kill him. And they weren't there. So there was this lamp, this big kind of like gallon bottom, clear base glass lamp. And it had like a cork that went into the top of it. And I knew this because I, it always fell apart. I'd pick it up and the thing would fall off. and But I knew it came apart. So I... I took the cork, t- 
top out of this lamp and grabbed it with my right hand, pulled it out of the wall. And I've tried doing that with the mate to that lamp, you know, more recently. And I can barely wield it, but I, I, with my right hand, grabbed, you know, the top of this big heavy lamp, pulled it out of the wall and chased him with it and was hitting him with it, hitting him with this heavy glass lamp and screaming, get the fuck out of my house. I'm going to fucking kill you. And he ran to the door and he was fumbling with the locks. There was like a, an iron security door and he was, you know, he couldn't figure out the locks. He was unlocking, the, trying to get out and I'm screaming and hitting him, get the fuck out of my house. And he, with his right hand, without turning her back, reached back with his right arm and hit that lamp out of my hands. And I, I knew there was another lamp, um, on a table by the door that I knew had a heavy base, this like silver, um, kind of desk looking lamp from Ikea. And it had a really heavy bottom. And I, I grabbed that with my right hand. I pulled that out of the wall and I was hitting him with that lamp, with the base of that lamp, screaming at him, get the fuck out of my house. And he finally got the door open and ran out and he ran out into the dark to the left through the bushes and away. And I, at that moment, I, I shut the door, I locked the door and I turned back to look at my apartment and I just saw blood so much blood everywhere like a trail of blood with my bare feet footprints in it and everything knocked over and I realized then that I was bleeding from my head and I was shaking and not shaking like trembling shaking like like I was doing a dance, like shake, like shaking so much, you know, like times 200 shaking, um, like a powerful shake. And I went into the bathroom. I walked into the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I just remember seeing red. And then I took my fingers and wiped my eyes and I just saw my eyes and red and I went into my room and I grabbed my cell phone and I remember seeing the blood kind of pooling on the screen drips and smearing and I tried to call my ex-boyfriend I called he didn't answer I called him again he didn't answer called him again he didn't answer. I thought about calling another friend and I thought I should call 911 first and make sure that someone's on the way. And I locked the door to the bathroom because it was the only door with a lock in case he came back. And I called 911 and the police came and knocked on the door and I, I wasn't sure if it was him you know, big booming man's voice, police. And I asked the 911 operator, is it, is it the police? Are they here? And she said, yes. 
and I walked out and then from there my, my life was never the same. Um, so thank you for listening. Um, I thought it was important that everyone listening to this podcast know that story. And again, you know, if you share it with other people, just caution everyone to take care when listening to it. As I know that that level of detail can, can be, you know, a lot for, for people to process. Um, and all of that, you know, that night was maybe 13 minutes total. Um, and there's so much that happened after there's, you know, the, the effect on my family and friends and them finding out and the hospital and surgeries and physical therapy and how, you know, physically healing and mental, you know, the PTSD, the, how, how to get through that, you know, I have, this story is important to know and essential to know, but the rest of the episodes are going to focus on after, um, and, you know, I, the, this is a, a story that I, when I tell it, I feel I'm, I'm lucky enough to be a survivor that can look back on their story and feel powerful and feel proud and feel strong. And I got to act out on my fight or flight. You know, I got to punch and kick and scream and run. So I, I know that even being able to tell this story and talk about it, that I'm lucky. You know, I was struck by lightning by this happening to me and I was struck by lightning by surviving it. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm an open book about this experience and I, I wanted to be as vulnerable and truthful with everyone as I could and give as much detail as I could. Um, just because I, I just know how important it is to, to hear that it's happened to someone else and that you're not alone and connect even if it is over something like this. So I hope you tune in for the other episodes. I'm, I'm excited to take you through my healing journey, the things that I encountered, you know, the things that surprised me, um, the tools that I found along the way um, that made being here today possible. Um, and I just want to say thank you again. Um, thank you for listening. And I'm, I'm excited about the future of telling this story. Um, okay, that's it. Thank you.